As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On today's episode, it's crossover time. Once again, we've got a U.S. men's national team roster coming sometime in the near future. World Cup qualifiers against Mexico and Jamaica right around the corner. And we've got a lot of listeners with a lot of questions about this team, future squads, Burhalter's tactics, and much, much more. So to answer those and many other questions, I'm joined by, as usual, my friend and yours, the dictator of Porto, uh, Joseph Pepper Joe de la Lowry. Joe, how are the nicknames accumulating so far? How's that working out for you? Uh, so it was all well and good until I started having to print new business cards, like I mentioned the other day. My ink bill is yeah. through the roof right now. It's getting a little unsustainable. My budget is not not doing well, Taylor. Are you just scratching out the, the titles or are you just adding to them as you go? Uh, at this point, I mean, I started out creating whole new business cards because I needed a, a larger card. So they're actually just eight by eight and a half by 11 <laughs> sheets of paper. They're cardstock at this point. Perfect. But, uh, Staples couldn't keep up with my demand with the supply chain shortage. So it, it's been a whole thing, Taylor. I don't really want to talk about it, to be honest. That's fine. We don't have to talk about it anymore uh, <laughs> because we will instead talk about the, the gentlemen who are joining us, two fellows from the Scuff podcast. It's Adam Bells. Hi, Adam. Yo, yo. How's it going, guys? It's going well, man. And it's Greg Velasquez. Hi, Greg. How are we doing, Taylor? Doing well. I'm excited for both of you to uh, accumulate nicknames over the course of this podcast, uh, so we'll have to keep track of if that happens. But we have many, many questions. I'm going to follow Bells' lead and jump more or less right into them, starting with the first question from David in San Francisco. Uh, Greg, I'm coming to you for this one. Uh, who is a player that you feel is ready for the next challenge at club level, and who is a player that you think could benefit from going down a level that doesn't necessarily have to be someone struggling, but could be someone who'd benefit from having an increased role or responsibility with a smaller club that said i made it a person who needs to go down a level greg what about you i'm gonna go up a level and i'm going with i I should go i should go down because there's so many players who i'm like ah this is too too much for you (laughs) but i'm going up a level and it's it's gonna be brendan aronson for me uh he gets his champions league games uh one one, every couple of weeks but otherwise he is playing in just too low of a level of a league and so the only information we get about brendan aronson uh is through um, his appearances with the national team and and again in those Champions League games. Otherwise, it's just the fact that Salzburg rate him at all that tells us a decent amount that he's he's got to be pretty good. 
but I'm, I'm tired of watching him on the weekends playing against uh, really low-level Austrian uh, opponents. I should have noted in my introduction that this is part two of the crossover. We did part one uh, on the on the scuffed podcast episode. Uh, and on that one, Greg and I seem to have a lot of overlap. Uh, it will be no different this time. My answer was also <laughs> Brendan Aronson. So I will just leave it to Bells to give us his answer. Uh, Kevin Paredes and Jonathan Gomez. So two young left backs who um, I would like to see challenged at a higher level. If they, you know, Gomez is already on his way to Real Sociedad. Uh in the winter transfer window, uh, Paredes, I don't know that there is, there's, I don't know that there are even that many rumors about him moving to Europe, but I would like both of those guys who are talented, technical left backs to, uh, to go, to go to where they're going and, um, and prove it in Europe. All right. So we've got left backs. We've got Brendan Aronson, Joe, who else do we have? I think Bells and I are sort of on a similar wavelength in that I picked a player who already does have a move lined up as well. Caden Clark is is one of my two responses. He's already moving to RB Leipzig. I talked about this in part one just a little bit. He's set to join Leipzig in the winter break in the Bundesliga. He's 18 years old, hasn't played much for Red Bull recently, for the New York Red Bulls recently, but super talented player, a guy who I've, I've enjoyed watching in Major League Soccer since he burst onto the scene there last season. He's one guy and that's already happening, so the genie has accomplished that wish of mine. James Sands is the other one, though. He's been a very good MLS player for a while now when he really upped his game this season, especially on the ball. Still flawed. And we've seen little bits and pieces of that, certainly with NYCFC and with the national team as well. At 21, I think he's ready to make a move if that's something that he wants to do for his career. I think he could hang at a mid to you know upper third table Bundesliga team and actually play. There's a number of different clubs that I think he would do well at over in Europe. And I think that, that he's ready for that challenge. Can I jump in on Caden Clark? What he hasn't played, like you mentioned, hasn't played much for the last couple months. And, and now the New York Red Bulls are actually having some success without him, even though he's apparently available. What is, what indication is there that he will do better at RB Leipzig, a champions league club than he has at Red Bulls, you know, a mid table Eastern conference MLS club. I think his, his his skill set is still there. I don't know exactly why he's not playing for the New York Red Bulls right now. Some of it certainly has to do with the form they're in, and I'm guessing Gerard Struber is very content with the current recipe that he's rocking with. But Bells, a lot of the, the film I've seen of Caden Clark and the time I've spent watching him, I've I've just been impressed and I'm a believer in his skill set. He's very He's very technical, and his best skill, I think, is his spatial awareness. He's very good at looking and checking his shoulders. He's diligent with that in a lot of, in a way that a lot of other young players and even fully grown, established professional players aren't. And I think that gives him a leg up. It, it buys him extra time. It allows him to be creative. He's not he's not a, a classic number ten through ball threader type of player. He's much more of a connector. And I think he has. That skill on the ball to operate quickly in tight spaces in a way that Jesse Marsh actually likes a lot. And he also has the defensive intensity to press and close the ball down. So I just think his skill set fits well in the Red Bull system in this current stretch with the New York Red Bulls as a bit of an outlier. I'm, I'm going to throw in uh, two names here in this that are adjacent to sort of this category. And that's going to be uh, Miles Robinson and Matt Turner. Uh, and they're both guys who I think could definitely move on and, and are, would be able to thrive in tougher competition, but I'm, I'm being overly conservative and not wanting to risk them not quite breaking through in the buildup to the 2022 World Cup. You just wanted to use the word adjacent. <laughs> 
<laughs> we cr- crossed that off the uh, the bingo card. Uh, everybody seems to have gone positive. Were there any players we wanted to see drop down? I had Josh Sargent either going to a club where he would get more time on the ball and more opportunities to actually do things with the ball. For De Bremen, he didn't have that. I would say Norwich, he does not have that. So if it is a lower level, as long as he is getting to... I possess the ball at least for a few minutes in a game as opposed to having to just chase and run and play defense and work really hard. I think that would probably benefit him as a number nine for the United States. That's a good one. Sargent would be my choice too, although I've burned so much oxygen talking about Josh Sargent over the last three years. I'm kind of boycotting the topic for the time being. (laughs) I I would like to see Stefan get a move at some point because Mm. I am also sick of burning oxygen about the shot-stopping debate. And if we could just see Zach Stefan go out there and play every game and, and actually get data on him outside of an occasional Premier League match. He's only ever played two Premier League games for City in, in the occasional cup game. I think that would do all of our mental states a lot of good. We will see if our mental states are done well by Sam and Vermont's question, our next question. I think it will be. Uh, what are your power rankings for top three U.S. field players to play in goal if yes. all goalkeepers suddenly <laughs> ceased to exist. Uh, yes, you can clone players if you still want them in the field as well. Bells, what was your ranking? Uh, Wes McKenney, number one, yep. Walker Zimmerman, number two, and Christian Roldan, number three. Since oh my he kind gosh. Of is a goalkeeper, right? Or he's done it before. Bells, we have the exact same three, just in a different <laughs> order. That is insane. There's so many choices that we could have picked. Wow. I don't Get- know. Are there, are there that many choices? Like, I'm curious to hear who the other options are. Well, I don't have any other options. I have those same three. I have Roldan, number one. Uh, just because I think it runs in the family a little bit. Alex Roldan, brother of Christian Roldan, who plays for El Salvador, played goalkeeper earlier this year when Seattle was out of subs and all of their other goalkeepers were out injured. And Alex Roldan made a save versus San Jose, and, and Seattle won that game back in May. So maybe some of that transfers over to Christian Roldan, and he has had some experience before. And then I have Weston McKinney at number two. He's played every other position on the field, essentially, maybe outside of left back. So I don't really know what's holding us back to, to giving him minutes in goal. And then Walker Zimmerman, I just want him to head everything away. No hands, just headers only for blocking shots. I just think that would be incredibly entertaining. McKinney would be a, you know, if he had, if his family hadn't moved to Germany when he was a kid and he hadn't learned to love soccer there, he'd probably be like a blocking fullback for the Carolina Panthers <laughs> now, you know, Clearing like a the classic, way for- a classic like Daryl Johnston type. Clearing the way for Christian McCaffrey. I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. Is that Moose? Was that his nickname? Yeah. <laughs> vague memories yeah, of Moose Johnson. There we I don't go. see it. I don't see how anyone could have anyone besides McKenny first. Uh, even even just watching him take throw-ins, you're like, oh, this hand-eye coordination is there. Uh, <laughs> but my, my backup is going to be Anthony Robinson just for the agility uh, because I feel like that's that, that level of body control is going to be pretty – while you're airborne, is going to be pretty important in our goalkeeper. I like it. I had Weston McKinney for the reasons already mentioned. I had Tim Weah, uh, quick off his line, good enough in the air. He's got the Ooh. strength. And I had Christian Roldan as my third option. Though I did then wonder, Joe, I, I turn to you. Uh, would people still be as mad as they are when Christian Roldan subs on for the U.S. national team if he were subbing on in goal? Like, would you still get the a non-MLS player would do a better job as a substitute goalkeeper? Oh, of course. Okay. Yes. yes. I don't <laughs> doubt that at all, Taylor. Perfect. Speaking of Yay. way of strength, just a quick, just a quick tangent. Did you guys see the way he bodied that center back for uh, breast over the weekend? No, I have he, not seen anything. Did from you him see this that, weekend. Greg? No, I haven't even caught that. I don't. I don't he, watch the guys who are like locked into the squad. I'm always watching okay. the fringes. You're just, you're just watching Saif and uh, and Holmes. But he <laughs> he received a pass in the box and just absolutely big brothered a center back and got a a good shot off, drew a kick save. Oh um, oh, I did see this, Bells. I it just clicked for me. 
a great turn, right? Wasn't there a great turn? I mean, it was an okay turn, but it was just like he was, he just outmanned the guy Mm -hmm. in a way that I had not seen from Wea before. Like he's, he's turning into a little bit of a unit. So right now it's Adam, Moose, Bells, and Greg Fringes of the Squad Velasquez. Those are the nicknames we're working with. We'll see how that changes. Uh, With our next question, Blaine in Spain. I hope that's real. Uh, The idea of a starting lineup without Tyler Adams now haunts my waking hours. What's our plan uh, if at the number six if he cannot go? Uh, What are some uh, some of the other most daunting drops from the best eleven to the backups? Joe Lowry, Blaine. I'm kind of wondering where Blaine has been. I think we've all been worried about this for a while now, but I'm glad I'm glad we're all on the same page. There are pretty clear options, I guess, as the backup to Tyler Adams. They're not options that I think a lot of folks are currently in love with, myself included. Kellen Acosta and Gianluca Busio feel like plan B and C at that spot, but I guess Busio has been factoring in more as an eight recently. So there is still some nebulousness in there, but Acosta is pretty clearly the backup six, and we saw that in the last window. We saw it over the summer, too. Sands isn't really in the picture. Jackson Ewell is is out of the picture, it appears. And there aren't a lot of other seats at the sixth table, as far as I can tell. Uh, Bells, I know you brought up Musa being an intriguing option at the six. I also think he could be fun to play there, although you you handicap him in in other areas. It's it's a challenging. I've given up on that. Yeah, I figured. I figured. (laughs) It's a challenging situation, and I I think it is a spot where the U.S. lacks real quality in their depth. Uh, and, And there are, of course, as Blaine is asking about some other areas where that's the case as well. Joe, if 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 Tyler Adams couldn't go, Greg Berhalter calls you and says, I need someone to do the Tyler Adams job. I'm not going to deviate anything else. Who would you want that to be? Who would you be most comfortable with it being? Acosta. Still okay. Acosta. Even after that that Panama game, which has scarred me and scarred a lot of others as well, uh, it's it's got to still be Kellen Acosta. Greg, are you on the same page with that? Uh, I think I would be for a game tomorrow. I, I'll say there, there was a bit of a back and forth on on the internet uh, just about the history of sixes that we've called up since Beralder's taken over. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a bleak list. Uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of minutes that went into that list that are definitely not in the picture anymore. Uh, probably justifiably. Um, but one thing that does strike me as a little bit kind of crazy is that through all of that time, we've, we've never once actually looked at Weston McKenney as a six and he has played that role for his club, uh, to some, I mean, to some effect, uh, back with Schalke. And, and like in these, emer- in like an emergency situation, I know you lose a lot of his ability to go forward potentially by playing him there, depending on how you, you know, build a team around it. Uh, but it still does strike me as a little bit strange that we just never have tried it. We've never, it's, it's something we've never even looked at. I think the only time I remember seeing that was the Bolivia game, that, that friendly, what was that in Philadelphia? I think under Dave Sarakin. So not under Greg Baralter to your point, Greg. We just, we haven't seen it. Well, Berhalter just loves the way McKenney arrives in the penalty area, right? Like he hasn't stopped talking about that since he took over the team. But yeah, I agree. I, 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 I would be a little uncomfortable with McKenney as the six, just because I don't think he has the, like the instincts, the defensive responsibility instincts that a player like Adams or even Acosta has to some extent. But maybe I'm overplaying that a little bit. I still think it's Acosta's B, plan B and, uh, and I, I am hopeful that Busio could get a little better at sort of controlling a game from that position. But I, if anybody's saying implicitly that he's not on this podcast, I would agree with them. Yes. 
I think for McKenney watching him this past weekend, he is such a like step to this guy, sprint 30 yards to cover that guy, then sprint 40 yards to get back into position. That like that ranginess is such a feature of his game. I wonder how hard it would be for him to move into more of a stay central, stay back a bit more, possess the ball, don't go roaming around. I think that kind of plays against his what his instincts are right now. I think it would he's probably the most talented and adept player if we needed someone to do that I guess more likely is probably we go to like a four two three one and have a double pivot there or some form of a double pivot so maybe that's how we would handle it but again not a a ton of good answers are there other daunting drops for you bells that you would not enjoy if there were a player injured like Serginho Dest is one that comes to mind for me Miles Robinson having previously said that he's very good and important to this team I'm hoping he doesn't get injured what about you bells yeah, the drops the drops at fullback grow groweth more daunting by the hour. <laughs> um, so yes, That's I would think Dest the, the the drop from Dest and Robinson to their backups I think is pretty considerable, much more considerable than I would have said you know a few months ago. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you, which is surprising because again that feels like positions where we have depth, but I think that the gap in there that has developed is is pretty sizable. Uh, Greg or Joe, any other players or spots you think are worth mentioning? I'm going to I'm going to tempt the wrath of a lot of people here and say I still think it's a big drop off to go from Matt Turner to another goalkeeper. <laughs> really? So, another another shot in the Turner Wars. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, may what, they never end. Is it mostly just is it distribution, is it shot stopping? What is the big drop off for you between Turner and Stefan? Uh it's it's shot stopping. It's okay. it's just like the likelihood of us having to claw a goal back because we conceded one that Matt Turner would not have conceded. Uh, like that's for me, that's just, again, it's a really expensive choice. Um, and so th- like, like, I feel like that's probably one of the, that should be one of the easier decisions that we have to make. Uh, but it's, it's one that obviously, despite me thinking that is still pretty divisive and clearly, you know, Burhalter feels confident in both players, Stefan and, and Turner. Just finishing making a note. Greg hates <laughs> Zach Stefan. Got it. Cool. All right. We will be back with more questions. Diplomatically, Greg. We'll be back with more questions in just a moment. First, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back. Steven Pittsburgh with the next question. Other than each other's pods, what are your favorite USMNT content or what is your favorite USMNT content? Who is teaching you something or making it more fun for you? Greg, I come to you for that question. All right. Well, I think, you know, straight away, Watkey's account has got to be the most, is, is like in any, Easy. in any genre, the best Twitter account out there. 
I'm, I'm glad that it happens to be a U.S. men's national team centric account. Uh, I still love a lot of the stuff the ASA guys put out. Um, anything John Mueller writes is, is great to read. And a lot of it is, you know, not necessarily centered on the national team, but you can get there <laughs> with a couple of degrees of separation. Uh, and then we talked about it in the last one, the Bobby Warshaw interviews with Burhalter, I think are fantastic, uh, for like a candid look behind sort of the thought processes that he's, he's kind of running through while coaching, while preparing. Uh, I don't remember ever getting, it's almost like the college football coaches, uh, like weekend wrap ups that you'd get on, on local access. So I really enjoy those. They're not like the whole, whole picture. It's obviously, you know, they, they very sort of carefully select. Uh, maybe, maybe that's not even fair. I don't know what the, what the process is for Bobby and, and Greg as they get into it. It's not Frost Nixon, but it's still, it's still like a deeper look than we've ever gotten before from a U.S. coach. Yeah, that is definitely that is definitely true, and it's easy sometimes when Berhalter doesn't like we talked about in the first part uh, of the crossover. When Berhalter isn't getting into specifics, it can be slightly frustrating. But then when you compare that with previous answers from managers that are all sort of platitudes and don't really give you any insight at all, uh, you're right. I am probably being overly critical. So that is a great shout, Greg. Joe, what are you adding to that list? Yeah, Greg took my top two items. It's not really a, a ranking here, I guess, but I, I genuinely enjoy Doyle's columns on MLSTalker.com after Agreed. games, the way that he provides some perspective and, and gets a bit into the tactical side as well. I enjoy and appreciate, and the turnaround time on those is also pretty impressive. So shout out to, to Doyle's late night writing sessions, I imagine. I, I also like, I'd be, I'd be a fool if I didn't mention this. Bells, this does not count because it's not, it's not scuffed as a podcast, which I, I love, of course, but I couldn't say that in this question, according to Steve. Bells is songs, elite level <laughs> stuff. And anyone who disagrees, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Um, I don't know what else to tell you. The Peppy one, brilliant. The Busio one, it's still my favorite. Uh, it goes so hard and it was stuck in my head and still does get stuck in my head for days on end. Thank you, Joe Lowry. <laughs> I mean every word of that. The check's in the mail, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joe, I also had uh, Matt Doyle on that list in addition to many other things that Greg had said. Uh, and then I would add uh, Paul and Sam from The Athletic. Maybe, maybe that's bias. Uh, you can listen to them doing allocation disorder on Fridays. Uh, but I think that they tend to cover games at, at the same time in person means that they cover different areas, generally that speaking. Is true. Yeah. So I think you get different perspectives and sort of good narrative accounts from uh, boots on the ground reporters. Uh Bells, any any names that you would like to add? Uh, yeah, no, I I agree with a lot of what's been said already. Let me just say, yeah, the Warshaw interviews with Berhalter are are must listen. I think for any fan or pundit or whatever, uh, John Mueller's new le- newsletter is great. When I've had adequate sleep and coffee, and um, <laughs> I like I like, and I agree about Doyle. I think it's he's an, he's underrated just as a stylist. He's a fantastic writer, and he he is able to. He's able to produce very readable and interesting columns uh, at a high rate of output. Um, Doyle's head like, grew three sizes that day. Uh, I like <laughs> I like Bob Morocco's tweets as uh, as um, esoteric as they sometimes sometimes can be. He's a very he's a he's a very uh, what's the word? He's a meticulous sort of thinker about soccer. And I this is going to come across as like a plug for our thing, but I do get a lot from the users in our in our discord, there's a lot of different perspectives and people who come at the sport from different ways and at different times of life. So you, I hear, I see things and read things on there that I, that I hadn't thought of pretty regularly. So 
Wow, that's that's a great answer as well. Nicely done, fellas. Uh, a, a, a sort of addendum to this question came from uh, David and Skokie. If you could hire one soccer pundit, writer, analyst, pontificator for Greg Berhalter's staff, let's say he or she replaces Anthony Hudson, who would it be and why? Bells, since you were the last to speak, let's go right back to you. Who would you hire? Uh, let's let's throw Sebastian Salazar in there. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, Se- Sebi getting in there. What, what what would Sebi bring to the equation? I was just gonna, those those were the name brand pundits. I was going to say I enjoy and forgot to, so I just wanted to mention mention them somehow. But um, yeah, it would be fun for Sebastian, a fan of Eltree, to have to you know help Greg Berhalter <laughs> on the sideline. Uh, Greg, what about you? I've got mine. Mine's still John Moeller. I, I want I wanted to have that level of uh. Uh, space, space, space preparation and like critical thinking. And, and I want, I want that on our bench. Joseph. Oh, it's, it's Chris Russell, Waukee for me, without a <laughs> doubt. Um, I, I think he would bring that special something that really any team needs, especially the U.S. men's national team needs. I can't put into words exactly what that is, uh, but maybe Chris can. And I think we all somehow need, we, we know we need more of that thing, whatever it is. So Chris Russell is my my top answer. And if not Watke, then Greg Velasquez, it's either you or Bobby. John Miller's a good answer as well. Just people that I think really think about the game well and make me think about the game in ways that sometimes hurt my head. But I like I, I need that. And I think sometimes we all need that. So there's a, a few different folks that I put on there. But I, ideally, Chris Russell. And if not, then then Greg Velasquez or Bobby Warshaw. I feel like a mainstream fraud for saying that my answer is Moe Du. Uh, but I think uh, he would still be relatable to the current team. And I really do just enjoy his insight when he does the play-by-play, or not the play-by-play, the color commentary. I think he picks up on stuff and explains it really effectively and notes tactical shifts uh, in a way that I don't think a lot of other commentators focus in on. And I think he just seems like a cool guy. I think he'd be a good locker room presence. So that was why I went with Moe Du. Uh, any other that. names uh, that d- deserve mentioning? I mean, get Hurt Gomez back in the picture <laughs> for me. I, I like the idea of having Hurt with uh, Sebastian Salazar, to Bill's point, and then we can have them bicker on the sidelines like they do in their broadcasts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, then, we've got a question from Mitch in Des Moines. What are Mexico's goals when they have the ball? Which of their players do they try to accomplish it with? Conversely, which U.S. players will be the most important to trying to shut that down? Uh, I will continue to talk to say that I messaged uh, Felipe Cardenas, who uh, does not have good taste in soccer-specific songs, but does have a lot of knowledge when it comes to soccer, especially El Tri, who he covers for The Athletic. Uh, His answers were, under Tata Martino, Mexico wants to build play from the back through holding midfielder Edson Alvarez and box-to-box midfielder Hector Herrera. Alvarez is a central part of Martino's tactics, perhaps too much so, to be honest. If Alvarez is unable to get on the ball, Mexico's center backs either progress the ball forward and look to break lines, or they'll build play through Mexico's fullbacks. On defense, Mexico is a counter-pressing team. Whew, taking a breath. When they lose possession, they look to quickly regain it and attack and transition through their attacking trident of Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, and Tecatito Corona. Mexico is accustomed to pressing high and defending in transition as well. So that's an area of improvement for them, though. So there's still opportunities there. Joe Lowry, with with all that said, anything to add or anything specifically about how you would like the United States to deal with all of those many threats and opportunities? Yeah, wow. You took a lot of wind out of it. I'm just kidding. Oh, that, was, that was good <laughs> insight from Felipe and lines up a lot with what I've seen from this Mexico team. They're a modern soccer team. Tata Martino's done a great job with them and Mexico would have been 
foolish to get rid of him after the the couple of results that they didn't get over the summer in final losses to the U.S. men's national team. Mexico, I think, was a better team than the U.S. in, in open play in both of those games, and they're clearly very talented. They like to keep possession. They've had more possession than the opposition in all but one of their games so far in World Cup qualifying. That one exception being away to Costa Rica, where they scored in first half stoppage time, and that kept things a little tighter defensively to earn all three points. Shape-wise, I don't I don't think you mentioned shape, Taylor. Maybe you did. If, if so, sorry for repeating something that, that you said from Felipe. They usually play out of this 4-3-3 shape in possession, but it shifts a lot to a 3-4-3 as Edson Alvarez drops into the back line and he will get on the ball and progress. He's not necessarily the, the cleanest player on the ball, but he, he can progress the ball from that deeper area. And you mentioned the, the key attackers, certainly. They like to get the ball through midfield and into that front line quickly, whether that's in possession and through buildup or whether it's through attacking transition moments after they've counter-pressed or high-pressed. They like to get the ball to the wingers, and, and that makes sense because their wingers are their most dangerous players in terms of being able to exploit space and, and beat players in 1v1 or even 1v2 situations. Tecatito, often on that left side, Chucky Lozano often on the right side, are a monstrous pairing. And, and looking at how the U.S. is going to need to shut them down, the fullbacks are, are going to need to be all right in 1v1 situations because it needs to be a team-wide approach to defending those players and Raul Jimenez to finish out that front line. It has to be a team-wide approach. But try as the U.S. might, there are going to be 1v1 situations where Destin Robinson, if that is the starting right back and left back respectively for the U.S. men's national team, where those players are going to be in 1v1s and they're going to have to hold their ground or they're going to gift Mexico a lot of those situations. So obviously stopping a team like Mexico is stopping any opposing attack. There's a lot of layers to it. But in terms of players that are going to be in some high-stress situations, it, it's the fullbacks, at least in a lot of moments for me. Bells, is there a way that you would like to see the United States sort of set up defensively when Mexico try to build out? Do you want us kind of aggressively stepping and trying to take Alvarez out of the game? Would you rather they sit off a little bit more and then try to kind of press when they approach midfield? What do you think would be a good way to deal with the way Mexico want to possess and build? I'd like to, I'd like to see us, uh, you know, come out and try to punch him in the mouth, you yep. know, get, get aggressive. And, uh, Alvarez is a good player, but he, he is susceptible a little bit to, um, to getting caught on the ball. And I, I, so I think that it'll be really fun to see that MMA midfield really, uh, you know, start a game together against Mexico and see how they, and, and probably, I'm guessing it's probably going to be Pepe at striker. You know, see what see what they can do to disrupt that buildup and create chances in transition um, against Mexico at home with everything on the line. Not everything, but a lot on the line. A lot, a lot for sure. Greg, are there players for the U.S. you would like to see, or if you prefer, not see against Mexico for whatever like reasons or vulnerabilities they might be presenting? Uh, so I, I definitely want to see that MMA midfield and I want to see, and I want to see him because I think they are going to have so much to do. Like, you know, like Joe said, there's going to be a lot of high stress moments for, for guys 1v1, especially on the edges. Uh, so I think the hidden, like the hidden performance is going to be how quickly and how readily, how alertly, uh, those midfielders come to offer like half a body defensively so that when Dest is fit, squared up 1v1, uh, that, that attacker looks up and sees Dest, but also sees like, half of Musa's body and knows that even if he gets by Dest, Musa's going to be there to cover and that'll change his calculus on whether he even wants to take Dest on. Like those kinds of ground covering shifts from that, from those three midfielders. Cause if we want him pressing like Bells wants and I want that too, like 
they have to be upfield. And then as soon as Mexico breaks our press, which they will, they've got to get all the way back to help defend on the edges, help defend uh, and clog up the middle. So it's just going to be this like immense ask for those three guys in the middle, I think, for us to get this result. And I'm excited to see if they're up for it. Joe, um, like I've been mostly impressed by what I've seen from Walker Zimmerman. With that said, I don't think I want to see him against Mexico because my memory of him most recently for the United States was that he was the one who I think was most ready to just hoof it long to get rid of possession if they were coming under pressure, that he didn't want to mess around in the back. And maybe that was an instruction. Maybe that was a thing he was doing himself. But if the idea is that Mexico are going to counterpress when they lose possession and put us under immediate pressure, I foresee a lot of the United States just booting the ball away and giving possession right back. And I think with maybe more ball playing center backs, we might just try to possess a bit more. Maybe that ends up shooting us in the foot, but I would rather that than just immediately giving Mexico the ball back. What do you think about that idea? I guess I don't really have a strong stance on Mm -hmm. that because it's a trade-off, right? When you have a player like John Brooks in the lineup, you sacrifice defensive solidity and quality in 1v1 situations when he has someone driving at him with the ball on the ground. You sacrifice some of that for the ball-playing ability. When you play someone like Walker Zimmerman, yes, he can still break lines with his passing, but he's not as good at that as, as a player like Brooks is or a player like Richards or Tim Ream or any of those players, really. Even even Miles Robinson, I think, to an extent. He can do those things, but he, he, he struggles in other areas. So I don't know, and this is why I'm glad I'm not Greg Berhalter, I don't know which skill set you want to prioritize in this game because if you come out and, and you try to pass through pressure and you don't play a player like Walker Zimmerman, that, that could work, or you run the risk of getting exposed in aerial duels and getting exposed with mobility as Mexico attack and break through you in possession or with their own counterattacks and, and moments where they've broken through your counterpressure. So I just very quickly find myself spinning in the hamster wheel, not really getting anywhere in that line of thinking, because I don't know which set of skills you want to value more in a game like this. I, I I would value winning. That would be the big one for me. I would I would like to make that happen. However, we could do that. I, I'm assuming that everyone's on on the same page as that one. Yeah, probably. probably <laughs> Taylor, can I turn that question back on you? Your yeah. your Brooks question, mm-hmm. but at the forward position, uh, I think everyone kind of assumes Ricardo Pepe's the prohibitive favorite to start. Does anyone have any concerns about about Pepe's like defensive discipline? His is like uh, yes assignments and getting those right. I know it, it came up after. Uh, after Honduras away, that he wasn't necessarily following the defensive plan. He was kind of going rogue a little bit. Is there is there any worry against Mexico where you have to get all your lines right? Because if, if you mess up one little gap, Mexico's going to be like, oh, we can beat you right here. Uh, and they're good enough to find those those seams that, that Pepe might not be the choice uh, to start Mexico. Uh, so I honestly do not remember that because goldfish brain. But I will say <laughs> this, that what does sometimes happen with younger players in my understanding is that if you are sort of doing something that you're not being asked to do and then you get exposed for that you can either learn from it and and kind of function within the system a little bit better as the game goes on or the other way is that you end up running more and you try to make more hero plays and you try to do more to make up for it and that can be problematic as well uh which of those ricardo pepe falls into i'm not entirely sure but that joe emphatically said yes he shares that concern probably means that he is better suited to answer this question well, and, and the challenge is, Taylor, I appreciate that perspective. The challenge is, then who else do you play, right? Because it would be easy to default to Jossie Zarnay in a moment like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the options at the nine are are slim after those players. I mean, are we going to see PFOC or Sargent or DK start that game? 
Probably not, right? And, and I'd be even more surprised if we saw Tim Weah there, although I do think it would be fun. It's it's a challenging situation, Greg, but it is certainly one that I have concerns about. Yeah. Totally agree. And that's where that's where I wonder if like the Josh Sargent strength that everyone talks about is his pressing and his defensive work. Yeah. If if that somehow becomes like a, a tipping point. Uh, and we're, I, I would basically think that we're, that's overthinking it, <laughs> to be honest. And you just, you gotta just keep running Pepe out there until, until that's not working. But, uh, like I wonder about that because of, uh, you know, what Mexico offer and how you have to sort of game plan defensively a little bit. So that might, maybe that's overthinking it, but if anything, Greg, if and when we see Sergeant included in that squad, <laughs> I think, if you had not said that, I would have been more of the like, why? Like, we, we need to see him do more at club level. We kind of, I feel like I, we know what he can do at national team level. But now that you said that, it, it would make some sense. So, no, I think, I think that might be some galaxy brain work by you, Greg, but it might also work <laughs> out. And then again, yeah, because we don't have Zardes uh, as an option, I think Timothy Weah would be more of an ex- experimental selection and not one that I've heard Greg Berhalter talk about necessarily wanting to to give a go so yeah like options are limited i think you got to go with what you can go with is is peppy's lack of discipline in the press something that you guys have noticed in watching the tape or is it just you're just going off of what burhalter said after the honduras game no it's this isn't an echo chamber situation uh at least for me and i'd be i'd be shocked if it was for greg either there's moments against there's moments in that in that first window and then there's moments more recently against costa rica in that final game i wrote a little bit about this in a in a piece for the athletic couple weeks ago, I don't know when that actually got published, but where Pepe was stepping forward and he wasn't using his cover shadow to block off uh, one of Costa Rica's midfielders in their double pivot, and he was sort of motioning someone else to come up behind him when he didn't need to do that. He could have just blocked the angle with his run, and it, it, it allowed Costa Rica to bypass the forward line and break forward. There were one or two moments like that, and, and those moments combined with the first window are enough to give me some, some concern in that particular issue. Sounds well, like an MLS. As we bias ruminate about the concerns me. we all now have and share, and I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back with a few more questions, and we will wrap up this episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. Next question. Uh, it's a sort of combination question, uh, half from Aaron Motes in Martinsburg, West Virginia, half from Dan Vaughn in El Paso, Texas. Bells, when Greg Berhalter was first appointed, he said he wanted to create pressure through possession. To what degree has the team achieved this goal? Or, given the players available, has Greg Berhalter adjusted his strategy on how his team will play? Have we improved tactically since the Gold Cup final win over Mexico? Or are we still overly reliant on grit, heart, or the will to win? So essentially, has Berhalter done what he said he was going to do? How has the team evolved? And are we still reliant on sort of traditional, classic, definitive U.S. men's national team characteristics? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, there we things, go. Things can be five things. I don't know. <laughs> um, I thought I thought the match against Costa Rica was a good step forward on the sort of creating pressure through possession project. At least it was to my eyes. Uh, so, yes, I think there has been progress. Um. Are we still overly reliant on grit, heart, or the will to win? I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with the premise of that question. You know, grit is – somebody was saying this on Twitter the other day. Grit is also having the courage – it was J.J. Devaney, the the um, Caught Offside podcast guy. Grit is also uh, having the courage to play real soccer, you know, the courage to stick to your principles and try to play play a possession game if that's what your – if that's what your quote-unquote principles are. Um. I do think, like I said, in answer to a couple questions ago, I think Mexico will be a big test of this, the game the game in Cincinnati. Can we – we can do it against Costa, uh, uh, an aging and weakened Costa Rica at home in World Cup qualifying? Can we do it against Mexico at home in World Cup qualifying? Really, you know, really possess the ball, really sort of realize some of our aspirations and Burhalter's aspirations for the way we play soccer. Um so that that I think that's my answer to that part. But I do think we've we've also evolved under Berhalter. We've embraced the idea, I think, gradually of creating chances through transition. Um, we all remember, I think, the 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 mid block of the early days and how creating creating chances in transition wasn't didn't seem to be a priority at all. And and now it is. We press some some of the time with some energy. <laughs> uh greg where are you on this one uh i think this is very much still an incomplete and, and it's along the same lines as what bells was saying the the wins over costa rica and jamaica at home are nice but that's never been what the actual test is to see if we can play attractive soccer um last cycle in in like the worst cycle of our lifetimes uh in our home wins against not mexico and not costa rica we want we had three wins with like 12 goals scored to zero conceded that's just not 
that's not where we're testing ourselves. The test is, can we go and do this against uh, CONCACAF teams on the road? Uh, can we do it against Mexico anywhere? And and that's still where, at the moment, I think we would still have to say, no, we haven't done that. Even in our Gold Cup uh, run, we never really put together any convincing possession, free-flowing, attacking soccer um, outside of Martinique. I'll, I'll give us the Martinique win at 6-0. Was it 6-5-0? Um, but against any of any of the Ocho level teams, it, we still haven't seen it. So we just we got to start seeing it. Joe, uh, I'm gonna be the echo chamber, I guess, in in this particular situation. Progress, yes, glimpses of progress, yes. It's been inconsistent, frustratingly inconsistent. Good moments, bad moments, more bad moments than good moments. To summarize my thoughts here, the adjustments have certainly been there. The defensive shape has changed. Bell's talked about this. The defensive approach has changed, and I think he has adjusted. Greg Berhalter has adjusted to help the player pool and, and has tweaked his system in some respects to fit the player pool better. And I think he deserves credit for that. But I don't think and I'm not convinced that the U.S. has drastically improved tactically since the Gold Cup final win over Mexico or, or really over the lifetime of Berhalter's tenure. Maybe that's a little bit harsh. It hasn't been consistent progress against the quality of opposition that I think we need to actually feel confident about that progress just yet. So at times, I think the U.S. does have to rely on slightly more rudimentary elements to win games. And that's not the worst thing. But ideally, you combine the extreme effort and, and the full buy-in, even though that's an intangible that I, I can't really figure out what, what that would look like on the screen. You you combine those intangibles with the tactical discipline and, and how you're actually approaching games in a strategic sense. I think I think you all have made very good points. And I would go back to uh, part one when we had the conversation about like the comparisons between CONCACAF and college soccer and the idea of like, should we playing be playing entirely differently? And I think we were kind of all on the same page that it's not quite the same, but it's not that different at the same time. And so you can't really expect the United States to have this one style of play that fits for every single opponent. And, and we have the talent and ability to back that up. I think there does have to be a level of variety to the way the United States is playing. I agree that progress has been made. I wish it were a little bit more linear and a little bit more building upon itself as opposed to, yeah, that didn't work. We got to change that up. Oh, yeah, we don't have that guy. We can't do that anymore. Now we've got to change it this way. I think I still have more questions than I would like, but I think at the same time we have a lot of answers, uh, including that Greg Velasquez hates, hates Zach Steffen. So in that way, I feel like we've got some, some good information to go off. Anything else uh, for this question? You're just trying to light Greg's mentions on fire. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty I kind of respect the effort, but wow. I mean, you were committed. <laughs> uh, we'll see if I can find a way to do that with uh, the next question. Matt from Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, important to note, uh, excluding the Azteca, uh, which upcoming USMNT World Cup qualifier gives you the most heartburn? Greg. Ha. Okay. Well, this is good because I mentioned in the first uh, episode here, of the crossover that I was going to bore people with ELO calculations, but I didn't follow up on it. Now I get to do that. Uh, the Mexico game at the Azteca gives me zero heartburn because it's essentially a free point or a free, a free game. Uh, any points we get from Azteca are gravy. Um, I kind of stumbled through this after the Costa Rica game in our podcast at uh, scuffed, but you know, there are games where you can try to claw points back that you've lost. Um, and, and so for like Mexico away, even Mexico at home, any points we get there are like bonus. So uh, I don't have any heartburn about those. Uh, my heartburn is on those high leverage games where you need points and they're kind of difficult. And for me, that's actually Jamaica away. Jamaica away is one that like Elo is going to say, 
We'd only expect maybe, you know, like around one and a half points, two points. We've got to get those points now because we've kind of left some other ones on the table. So we've really got to make it happen at Jamaica Way or more importantly, actually Panama at home, where if they're our closest competition for that third place spot or if they're the, the fourth place team in the hunt, that's a six point swing. So that's like suddenly becomes a really high leverage game. All right. I feel like we're going to end up saying like every single game between the four of us, but let's go to Bells to see where Bells takes us. Yeah. The one that gives me the most heartburn is Mexico at home in a couple of weeks because it, because I, even though Greg says it's gravy, it's like a, it's any points from that game are also free. So I just can't quite get on board with that. And I feel like we have to win. We have to win that game or we don't have to win to qualify, but like to put us in a situation where the Jamaica yeah. game isn't uh, like a, uh, we need to get three points here a few days later. Um, uh, I think that that Mexico game at home, a game that historically over the last 25 years, we've won more often than we've lost against Mexico at home and World Cup qualifying. Uh, it gives me heartburn. I'd like to see us win that game. So uh, Mexico at home and then Jamaica away. We're, we're hoping that things go well in this next round of qualifying. I'm especially hoping that, uh, Joe, I'm going to guess we have some overlap in our answers, so I will say one and leave the other for you. But I would say Canada away on January 30th in Canada. Winter in Canada could be a problem. Uh, I think also Canada getting more and more confident and uh, the win uh, in the Nations League on home soil against the United States probably makes them feel like it's a possibility. And that's one where I could see the U.S., a team that I feel like occasionally doesn't start strongly enough, doesn't necessarily get up for those quote-unquote lower-level opponents in CONCACAF, I think that would be one where if they started slow and went behind early could be problematic. And I think any game, to Greg's point, that we are expected to win or get points from and do not, the more that happens, the more we have a lot of concerns, especially given our final opponent, and I'm guessing that's where Joe Lowry has some thoughts. Yes, I mentioned this to Taylor earlier today, when I think around when we were recording Soccer 101 with mm-hmm. Graham. I I don't have real apprehension about any one particular World Cup qualifier over any other. Greg, I, I love your ELO conversation and, and your idea about certain points being gravy. And I, I re-listened to that twice, listening to your show, because I wanted to make sure I fully understood it. And I think the points you're making are, are excellent. Um, I could see, though, I could, I could see the one game being particularly challenging and that's that's Costa Rica away on the final match day less for the particular game because I think Costa Rica are one of if not the worst team in the Ocho I have concerns about what the environment and pressure could be like if they have not if the US national team has not executed to that point uh, so you don't have to play in the old Saprissa national stadium Chinese government has funded the new stadium which is a, a fascinating geopolitical sort of situation but it could be a scary situation. Uh, I think we're all slightly scarred from last time around, and we would be getting serious Trinidad vibes from this game, or at least I would. So that does scare me a little bit. But in general, I feel pretty even about most of these games. Yeah, I'm not as concerned about that final Costa Rica game unless we need a point or, right, exactly. or three yeah. points. Then it's just then it becomes pandemonium. The most then it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh, I, I, think, oh, I think that Canada away game, I think of that as a real opportunity for some reason. Like we, we're going to have a chip on our shoulder having uh, dropped points to them at home. I, th- I think most of our players probably don't think of Canada as a, as a nobody team. You know, they probably, I think, see them for what they increasingly are, which is, the second or the third best team in CONCACAF. And um, 
I think that that'll be a game people get up for, and probably it'll be in Vancouver, right, Taylor? I mean, they're not going to put it in Edmonton or Toronto in January. I, I say Newfoundland. Just put it as far, <laughs> like as far in the middle of nowhere as they can to really make it uncomfortable. Find an <laughs> island in Hudson Bay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wherever they wherever they film the Alone TV series, that's like ten miles from the uh, like the Arctic border. That there, that's where it should be in January, and see how it goes. <laughs> Let me let me real quick give you guys the Elo the Elo ranking of most difficult games because you guys have basically just nailed this. Uh, the most difficult remaining games are Mexico away, Canada away, and that's based on current Elo standing. So Canada have played their way into being one of the most difficult games. Then Mexico home, then Costa Rica away. So you guys have basically done the opposite of my methodology, which is you've picked the four most difficult games, and I'm like, oh, we can give those games away. I don't need them. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about the games we can, the, the easier games that we need to get points from. But you guys nailed the most difficult remaining matches. Just covering all of our bases, Greg. That's all it is. <laughs> it's it's worth pointing out we haven't we haven't won at Costa Rica in a World Cup qualifier since like the 1980s, right? Haven't even tied. I don't think yeah. we even tied at the Saprissa. At least we may have gotten a point at the new stadium, but that might not even been in qualifying. But yeah, in qualifying, it has not been a forgiving environment to go play for the United States. Yeah. There we go. All right, that's a good cliffhanger, sad <laughs> note. And, and actually, let me let me ask this. Greg, I have a question for you that I've I've held on to the entire episode. Uh, what is the ELO rating for the Electric Light Orchestra band? <laughs> I don't have the I don't have their actual rating, but I know that we're expected to win against them okay. roughly 60% of the time at home. <laughs> okay, so the ELO on ELO is optimistic. <laughs> yes. We should count on some points All in right. that matchup. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Oh, that's a joke for like nine people. Uh, final question uh, is one, uh, I guess, for, for me of sorts, uh, from Scott in New Jersey. What are we doing uh, to celebrate Daryl Grove's birthday? Uh, yeah, we chose not to sort of celebrate Daryl's life on the date he passed or the anniversary of the date he passed. So instead, uh, we're going to do that on November 29th, which would have been his birthday. Uh, we're going to do some stuff in Richmond locally in terms of on the podcast and as a broader uh, celebration for people who don't live in the Metro Richmond area, which is most of the people listening to this. I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do. Uh, so I welcome ideas to some extent, uh, but I, I can't say I will incorporate all of them. But I would I would like to hear from people because I think Daryl touched a lot of different people's lives in a lot of different ways. So I think anything we can do to keep his memory alive, but also make people feel like they have a moment to appreciate Daryl, enjoy Daryl, think about Daryl in fond ways I would like to make happen. So that is my very abbreviated answer. And on that note, I think we've answered plenty of questions today. So, Joe Lowry, uh, with all of your many nicknames, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. You got it, Taylor. And one thing that I don't think anyone's had a chance to tell you on air, we've talked a lot about it a little bit off air, but just thank you for doing that one-year podcast that, that oh. went up in the TSS feed about yeah. Daryl. It was short, it was sweet, and it, it made my day better in, in a way. And I think the same goes for a lot of other folks out there. So I have full faith, and this is my way of offering help in whatever way I can. I have full faith that that November 29th celebration will be awesome in Richmond, and, and we'll do our best to to make it awesome in other places as well. Thank you. That's that, that's very nice of you, Joe. I appreciate that. I only cried like six times recording it in a three-minute period. That's... uh. That's a good one for me, I got to say. Uh, Greg, Matt Turner is the best Velasquez. Thank you for being here. Uh, it was my pleasure. I, I'm, gra- I'm glad I was promoted to that from Fringes of the Squad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Adam, Adam Bells. That's going to be your nickname for me. Uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. And, you know, keep us posted on the plans for celebrating Daryl's birthday. 
I shall. I shall. Thanks, guys. Uh, listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, please go listen to part one of the crossover. And on that note, we will talk to you all very soon. Thanks again.